Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. What's up, guys? This is Dave Duenas, and you're listening to Leave It In The Ring Network. Be sure you go to our YouTube, subscribe, hit the like button, and hit that notification bell so you're alerted when we bring up new content on the YouTube channel. Right now, you're about to tune in to Hispanics Causing Panic with D-Style, G-Funk, and myself, Dave Duenas. So I hope you guys enjoyed the segment. Thanks to those joining me live and to those that will be joining me G-Funk and Dave from Living in the Ring, AK 97 Rough. What's going on, everybody tuning in live? We, we have a great show for you tonight. We're going to be talking about Johnny Tapia. I mean, Vida Loca, his life, his legacy, etc. Um, you know, later on on the show, uh, also the Nevada uh, Boxing Hall of Fame ceremony has been postponed for a year. Nacho Bernstein, as most know him as a trainer, Juan Manuel Marquez, legendary trainer, has a lot to say about Morales and uh, about Canelo Alvarez, the favorite dude of a lot of dudes out there. So uh, a lot we got to talk about. Uh, also, Danny Garcia, is he going to fight Spence? Is he going to fight Pacquiao? I don't know, but how about we find out? All right, what's going on, gentlemen? Uh, how's it going, G-Funky? It's going well, man. Just, uh, you know, keeping myself busy during this quarantine, taking care of my kid while the wife is working. So, you know, busy, busy, right. man, but I'm excited to be back, talk some boxing, man. Absolutely. What's going on, Dave? AK97 Rough, how's it going? AKA the greatest Chicano of all times. I'm doing good, bro. I'm doing good, man. I'm uh, enjoying the weather, especially. I know G Funk, you're in my neck of the woods, so this weather is beautiful, bro. This oh, is like barbecue, right? It's like barbecue pop up and a few beers type of weather. I had to work, you know. Uh, I had to go to work. I've been working all day, man. But you know, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to you know for us to talk, get ready to talk some boxing. Absolutely, the goat, la cabra, bro. He's la, la cabra más chingona. De todo. He's right here. All right, <laughs> check it out, man. A lot to talk about. Make sure you guys throw a jab at the damn like button. Make sure it turns blue if you're listening to archive. All right, utilize the jab to the like button and then throw a cross at the subscribe and the nice uppercut at the bell button. That way you're notified every single time these boxing comes on live. Check this out. All right. Um, the Nevada, um, not to be confused with the one over there in New York, but the Nevada Boxing Hall of Fame has postponed the ceremony to uh, 2021, a whole year, right? Dave, good move. What are you, what's your opinion about that? I think it's a good move. I mean, look, we, as a society right now, we're finding new things out. You know, I mean, we're we're still we're still at first base with this COVID-19, you know, we don't know everything. Every, every day you're, we're finding out new stuff or, or, you know, we're inching, in, inching closer to hopefully, I mean, I shouldn't say we're inching because I don't know yet uh, of how close we are of handling what's, what's going on with the, with our, our country at this moment, right. Of what's going on with the COVID-19. So I, I think it's a great idea. I think that by jumping the gun and trying to like test 
and using live bodies to do testing of whether or not it's the real deal or people can get sick or this have, has this blown over. Um, I think a year, uh, you know, uh, drawn out is a much better way of fighting because you got to remember this. A lot of the people that are going to show up for this are a lot older, you know, uh, you know, that are going to be remembering fighters in this Hall of Fame thing. A lot older. These are a lot. This is going to be an older generation of, of folks being there. So I think it's a good idea. Absolutely. Just to go over some of the uh, inductees, Fernando El Ferroz Vargas, Karen Bones Adams, uh, Andre Ward, James Lights Out Tony, Miguel Cotto, Mark Tooth Sharp Johnson, Julian the Hawk Johnson, Azuma the Professor Nelson, uh, Danny Literate Lopez, and Jose Luis Castillo. I mean, mm. there, there go a hell of a class. And non-boxing inductees, Carlos Padilla, Loreno Fertitta, Sammy Macias, and Jose Suleiman. Right, G Funky. What's your opinion about this man? You know, po then postpone it till next year. Yeah, I think it's a good move, man. Because um, you know, this thing, man, it doesn't seem like it's going away anytime soon. Um, so you know, it's it's best to just kind of take these things and you know, just say, hey, you know what, let's just wait a little bit, and then you know, I mean, these guys will have their time. You know, they're already in. It's just you know the enshrinement, which which is a big deal to some of these guys. You know, that's what they look forward to but you know um it's it to me it's cool man just you know we'll wait it out and uh let these guys uh get the uh acknowledgement that they deserve man that's a hell of a class too man um so awesome you know, I'll be, yeah yeah i'll be okay. looking forward to that man but i think it's the right move man let's just play it safe for now and then once once everything's good hopefully we get there one day and um you know we'll be able to see these guys uh, get inducted into the boxing hall of fame I agree. We want to give these guys praise, not COVID. You know what I mean? So stay at home for now and come back later. You know what I mean? And we'll, we'll celebrate you guys. And I think it's a better move than doing something like that. Watch you come on StreamYard and give these guys praise or something like that. You know what I mean? Do it in person where it counts. Make sure you guys throw a jab at the like button. What's up, Big Dog Willie, Chicano Prophet, and Bruce goes in the chat. What's going on? Uh, let's talk about Nacho, bro. And I'm not talking about Nacho Libre. I'm talking about the, uh, the, you know, talking about Hall of Famer. This guy is Hall of Fame trainer. He yeah. is, man. And uh, Nacho Bernstein was on El Box Cast. It's, it's uh, they have like a podcast. It is in Spanish. I put they put the links in the in the description box. Mm -hmm. um, some people taking their quotes and they're giving them no credit. They're, they're a very small YouTube channel, uh, but but give them the credit. You know what I mean? Go to their videos, give them a thumbs up and stuff like that. Especially and listen to them when you speak Spanish. All right, they were able to get them up. They were able to wake them up and get them to, uh, to do yeah, that. Right? Dude was on there for a whole hour, bro. I remember the last time we had him on leaving the ring, his wife literally yelled at us on the air that he was asleep to call back, even though it was not true that told us to call him at a particular time. He said, oh, yeah, I'll be up, and then called him. He was asleep still. It took like an hour for his wife to say, no, to us, call back in an hour. He's sleeping. Wow. <laughs> Man, if you're waking up a Hall of Famer, bro. Let him get his rest. Bro. Hey, I didn't argue with her at all, especially because she sounded like my mom, you know? You know, she was yeah. mad. She was like, who gave you this number? Uh, Nacho did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, Man, that's interesting. But but uh, El Bokes Cast, go ahead and check them out. Um, the first thing he talked about, um, they asked him a question about something that Morales allegedly said. I, I was not able to find these quotes, but this is what they asked him. Uh, that Morales said that his legacy is not defined by one punch at Juan Manuel Marquez. 
Uh, his legacy is defined by his body of mm-hmm. work, and he beat Pacquiao in better fashion because he outboxed him for twelve rounds. He didn't, you know, he didn't get lucky with a punch, pretty much. You know what I mean? So um, Nacho did respond to that, and um, but, but before we get to that, also um, he did. He went on to talk about how Morales was supposed to fight him, how the Jose Suleiman told him uh, and Marquez in person that they would be getting a title shot against Marquez. And then mysteriously, they later found out he's going to fight Paulie Ayala instead. And, you know, he, he went out to talk about some other things, bro. Like they always move the rankings on him in the WBC. Marquez would be number one. And all of a sudden, Asim Hamed was number one. And then he was back to number three. And then he broke with the WBC. I mean, I mean he was kind of all over the place. All of the uh, money. That's right. what he got to do. <laughs> right. But, but, you know, he definitely, you know, he said, hey, at the end of the day, you know, we had a lot of fights with, with more than one fight with Pacquiao. And that Marcus, uh, of course, he said it's, he's not defined by one punch. He had a better legacy than that. Uh, Dave, what is, your, what is your overall thoughts on that? Uh, just just on um, if it's true that Morales said that his legacy is defined by one punch by knocking out, you know, Pacquiao. I mean, look. I don't know if it's defined by one punch. I mean, Marquez, you got to admit, Marquez was probably far one of the greatest technicians, you know, to come out of south of the border. Um, I mean, here's a guy that really had to work at the grind of, of getting the exposure that he has now, the recognition, right? The recognition that we see of, see of him now, you know. Um, but that one punch, dude, yeah, I mean, you're going to remember – him as the glass guy to knock out Manny Pacquiao, you know, to put him flat on his face. And it was so dramatizing the way in the fashion that he, he did it, you know? Um, but I, I, you know, look, these guys are, these guys are great fighters. I, I think in their right, they have the right to say that this guy only did this. Whereas the public, I don't think we have the right to say that because, you know, they, they're able to, to justify how they define their career by the credentials that they present. That's that's my opinion, you know. I think Morales, I think Morales in 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 in, in all reality, he's always been a shit talker. I mean, this there's no mystery to that. This guy's always been a shit talker and stuff, you know. Um, you know, he he didn't like Barrera. And I think when he doesn't like uh, you know, there's a, there's a there's like a it's not a hidden thing among Mexicanos. You know, I can't say we, we, ha- we hide jealousy among each other. You know, I think that's always been true. I remember like my grandfather used to tell me back in the days, like if Mexicanos united, we just like finally would stop like this underline of hate of each other. Uh, we would move and be a lot stronger than what we are. And you could just see it in the sports, you know, you could see the jealousy and the, and the hate that like Mor- Morales and Barrera and Marquez, they all had for each other, man. Absolutely. What's up, Just K? And Bruce Gold says his brother Raul was no chump either. Uh, Big Dog Willis says that kill was vindication of getting robbed in the second fight against Pacquiao. You could argue the third fight, I think, was the most egregious, but hey, it's all debatable. Um, and shout out to you, Just K. Chief Funky, do, do, do you agree with Morales that his win, the first one, his only win actually, but the first fight with Pacquiao, was a better way to beat Pacquiao than the way Marcus did by knockout. That's tough, man. 
Um, obviously, you know, you want to go in there and, and get the knockout in spectacular fashion like uh, Marquez did. And that was spectacular. Let me just throw that out there, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I got the ring magazine for that somewhere where he was the fighter of the year and they got him with the, with the fist raised and the blood coming out of his nose. You know, he, that was that was a great, great moment in boxing. Um, but, you know, I don't know, man. I mean, those are they both beat him pretty good, man. But the thing is this, like, if Morales is going to say that, then he's going to have to at least acknowledge the second and the third fight. <laughs> right. You know, he's going to have to at least give Marquez that. I mean, I know he didn't get the official win, but it's like, come on, man. We all know. I mean, for me, I thought those were two clear wins. I think the first fight is the most debatable one that could go back and forth. Um, you're going to get more people saying that Pacquiao won that fight because of the three knockdowns. But um, the second and the third fight, to me, those are clear wins for Marquez. And then obviously when he uh, face-palmed him in the, uh, or face-planted him in the in the fourth one. But it's tough, man, because Morales did do uh, a hell of a job on Pacquiao that night. Uh, paint brushed him all night with right hands. And uh, then it's her southpaw with the guy in the twelfth round, which was <laughs> that was pretty crazy. crazy. But uh, that's how much confidence the guy had in there that night. You know, he's like, "Fuck, it, I'm gonna go southpaw on this dude the last round." I know I got this fight won. He went suicidal with that twelfth round. You know, what yeah, I mean? exactly. <laughs> I, yeah, I give it to Morales, bro. Like, okay, if you really think about it, his first win with Pacquiao was very. It was. Very dominant. You know what I mean? He dominated those rounds. Uh, he had his way with Manny. That's why in the 12th round, he basically came out. It was, it was his way of him showing you ain't shit, Manny Pacquiao. You know, look where we're at. I, I, I outboxed you. I outjabbed you. you. You haven't been able to hurt me. I've hurt you numerous times within the rounds. Whereas I think, but though, but see, for me, it goes back to Marquez is that, yeah, Marquez was in, it was a tug of war in that first right, that first fight. But then after that, it was, everything was like, okay, this is Marquez. He's just not getting the win on paper. But I think every fan was like, this was Marquez. Like Marquez won this. Whereas Eric, that was it. You had one good, really good dominant uh, win, but nobody, rem like if you really talk to other fans, they're going to remember the trilogy of, Eric Morales and Pacquiao of the last two, not right. the first one. Whereas Marquez, everybody remembers every fight and everybody can debate every fight. Well, Morales has got one good win and that's it. You know, Here's in my opinion, he was on his way to winning that second fight too if he didn't. I mean, he was done at that weight class, but to me, those first seven rounds were clear. He was clearly winning that fight. Morales oh, when he started massaging his, his thighs and stuff in the corner. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, but man, like, like here's what I would say, and I'm and I'm an Eric Morales guy, but if I was Marquez, all, this is all, all I would say. Look, man, you won one battle against Manny, but you lost a war. Yeah. I won the war. You know what I mean? Like, I won the war against the guy. And because that, that's at the end of the day, that's what it is. You know what I mean? Um, I want to ask you this, Dave. But so Nacho has, and it's kind of, we're going to extend this, you know, on the next topic, but he's always had this resentment towards the WBC, him hmm. and Marquez. Okay. And, and here's one example. He, he just gave the example of the, all they did was ask him, like, do you think, I sh you know, should have fought, you know, Marquez? Because according to Morales, his revisionist history was, well, Marquez was nowhere to be found when I was fighting like Barrera and, you know, Ayala and all these guys. Uh, Marquez wasn't relevant. I don't know if that's necessarily true. Um, Marquez was definitely ranked and he was up there. And according to Nacho, he was ranked number one. 
they were at right. the house of Suleiman. They were told you're going to get the title shot, and then they don't they don't find out from from Suleiman, but the newspaper that he's going to be fighting Paulia Ayala. Okay, <laughs> who's no scrub? Okay, Southpaw out of Texas, right? Right. But what do you make of that? You know, uh, this. Do you think they have a right to be resentful towards the WBC? And why did the WBC seem to not treat them so well? Why? I mean, the WBC has always been a, a set of whores, to tell you the truth, when it comes to money. You know, they're going to suck off whoever's going to pay up first and pay the most. Marquez wasn't a star. You got to remember that. I mean, Morales, Barrera, uh, Hamed, those guys were stars. Those guys put asses in the seat. Marquez was still looked at as a counterpuncher, not a very traditional uh, Mexican-style boxer. Uh, you know, I thought it was in thrilling fights, but for the masses or HBO and the networks, he wasn't appealing. So since he wasn't appealing, he was not appealing to the WBC, which, you know, the acronym for WBC is we be crooks. Everybody knows that. I mean, yeah. even Suleiman, I've had Jose Suleiman ask him on his own. We've asked him on his own rules. The guy didn't, couldn't remember the own rule, his own rules that he would set. That tells you how much they're dedicated and following. Was that, that what he called you a racist? Yeah, that's when he called me a racist towards Mexicans when I'm Mexican. <laughs> <laughs> Just because you were questioning his rules. Right. I was questioning the rules. I asked them, you know, how did they come up with that? But at the time, my co-host gave them a toy, too. We we're asking them. I mean, we're reading their rules. I mean, and we even asked them, if you, because we asked them, did you write these rules? And he said, absolutely. I wrote them all, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, that I, I know these rules. Then you asked them, and he was like, well, I don't, you know, I mean, come on. You guys are asking me this, and I can't just think off the top of my head. And then and then that's when, because we were questioning about the Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., um, you know, getting, you know, getting titles after titles when the kid hadn't done shit and he would pick any weight that he would want to fight. And so, I mean, we all know that, like I said, the WBC is a very corrupted organization. It's not, I mean, look at them now, right now they have a, you know, a clean sport thing, but yet they don't do 365 days. They, they, they literally, you know, um, do maybe one or two out of a hundred 165 days. That's not all year round testing. No, it's not. You know what I mean? If you do two times out of that amount, 12 months of a span of time, that's not clean testing. Okay. And then remember too, they got caught for saying they were using, they were using Bada on, I can't, I would have to go back to on the fight. And then it turned out to be that the, 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 the promoter and the fighters themselves said like, we're not using Bada. We're not even using the WBC clean program. So for anybody to believe them on their end about certain things of history wise to revise it, I wouldn't believe them. They've, they've, to me, they've really have ruined their whole credibility. I still don't understand why they even exist and why. I mean, I do because fighters love belts um, mounted on their walls, but that's the right. only reason why they're around. Absolutely. Uh, Nopal Boxiano salute HCP fam. All right. Shout out to Big Dog Willie. He said he meant the third fight. Uh, Drew Titan on here. Bruce goes. How's it going? Chicano Prophet says, didn't Morada say he watched the, the first pack Marquez 10 times in the lead up to the Pacquiao fight? He obviously learned from the Marquez fight. Oops. <laughs> if he said that, that's a big oops. Uh, Taco yeah. uh, says, que onda raza. How's it going, bro? Bruce goes. I thought Pac had the first fight, but Marquez came back like Superman. He did come back from that, that big deficit, 10-6. Although one of the judges scored a 10-7, but that's a different story. All right. WBC so money-driven, says Big Dog Willie, which sanctioning body isn't. Big Dog Willie, I lost respect for WBC with the franchise belt BS. Now, now back to um, 
uh, Morales, um, Chief Funky, segue us to this, okay? Because obviously Bernstein just, you know, brought up the WBC, how they would move Marquez for, from his ranking and, you know, just miraculously and stuff like that. Um, you know, they promise some a title shot and, and, oh, you're the mandatory, you have my word and it doesn't happen, et cetera, et cetera, right? And we go back to when uh, Saul Canelo Alvarez got his uh, title shot. He was not ranked. He fought an unranked opponent from a different weight class. We, we know the story there, okay? And again, Marcus and Bernstein here, they went very hard in the WBC at the time. And is it tied to this? Because he said Canelo is not number one pound for pound, and he never will be. Like he just shut shut it down. He will never <laughs> pound, no matter what he does. And he said he's good, but he's not great. And I cannot consider him one of the best fighters in Mexican boxing history. Hmm. Is that history and and the beef that kind of extended from there? And if you remember, Mark was a challenging. Uh, I mean. Um, Canelo was challenging Marcus to a fight. You remember all that drama and, and the fact, you know, they were calling out Canelo for that. Canelo didn't like it. Do you think these statements is connected to that? I do think so. And I think there is still some animosity there uh, with all that history you just brought up. Um, WBC, like Dave said, they got a history, man, of doing stuff like this. Um, Marquez was always that dude that was left out of the circle. He was always left out of the, uh, of the big fights, um, we you know he was ready to fight the guys like Morales, the Barreras, the the Hamed's, um, the guys who were ruling that division at that time. You know he's going all the way over to I think it was Indonesia to fight guys like Chris John. Yep. You know because he just you know he wasn't he wasn't getting fights. Um, but you know once he got his opportunity, um, you know it, it didn't look so good against Pacquiao <laughs> going down three three times in the first round, but then he gets up, makes a hell of a fight out of it, gets a draw out of it. But, um, you know, he has to wait several years in between each fight. You know, I wonder why that is, you know. <laughs> and uh, once he got his hands on on one of those main guys from from his country, which is Barrera, um, you know, he did beat him. So, um, you know, I, I wonder how he would have done against the Morales. That's always a good fight. But to get back on the Canelo thing, um, man, those are those are some tough words, man, from Nacho Berenstein to say, uh, you know, he doesn't think he'll ever be considered i mean yo canelo still got some time uh i've had you know i've had my issues with the way that they've ran that guy's career especially early on especially early on he got away with a lot of bs um and we know that that was of course a wbc uh looking to get paid because they saw how big of a star this guy was in mexico um but i do think that that is uh some animosity left over from the whole situation of when marquez originally said that you know well, he originally had his criticisms of Canelo. Uh, I fully understand it. Uh, when I first started making videos here on YouTube, I had my criticism of Canelo, and I got viciously attacked <laughs> by his rabid fans, rabid fan base. Uh, so I, I understand, you know. Uh, and then, you know, it's 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 just crazy, man. But I do you think got that atta- it, you got attacked by his his Chucky fans. Oh his man, fans really. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I've done some videos where I've been petty, you know, about things with him. But, you know, hey, you know, it's, hey, I got to fire back, you know. (laughs) Let me kind of say this, man. Okay, Go ahead. Dave, do do you think that this is something personal or or is there some type of jealousy there? Because there was jealousy. 
I, I you know, I mean, look, you got Juan Marquez who had to do it the hard way. Right, right. It's no secret, dude. Canelo was on two channels in Mexico. That's all they, you know, really, that's the two channels out there. He was on there. He he built a fan base uh, originally where he's from, which that's the way you're supposed to do it. Golden mm-hmm. Boy picks him up after X amount of fights. Um, they, put him on, they put him on a platform. They groomed him, which really, I think that's what a lot of fight fans, like I was having problems with both of them with that. You know, they were getting guys, uh, I mean, uh, with uh, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. and Canelo. I remember I did a, a, um, a segment on the show and I put it on YouTube. I was like, is this, is this where we're at as, as Mexican fighters now? Like, is this what we're going to get? These two these two type of fighters where they're going to cherry pick and they're going to, you know, make guys jump up and they become the cast, uh, cast weight Kings of the era. I, I was so disappointed. Now going back with Juan Marquez is that, listen, you had a guy just like what G Funk said right now, how to go to Indonesia, how to fight, you know, uh, you know, for lesser money, how to do every, he had to jump all the hoops to prove that he was one of the best. So is there a chip on his shoulder and to, with his trainer, Nacho? Absolutely. Why not? You know, Nacho is an all-time Hall of Famer. How many champions did he have under his belt that, that they didn't even give him the courtesy? That's like, that's a slap in a, a legend's face by basically telling them, you know what? I know you've done, you've developed all these uh, fighters and they're all Hall of Famers. They've done all that. You, you, you know what I mean? You put in, you've been not in the, not even in the trench. You got, you got mud in your hair, mud in your nails, all that shit. But it's still not good enough for us to believe that you have possibly another great Mexican champion, Latino champion. You're going to have to get back in the back of the line. If, if that doesn't add to animosity, I don't know what does. You know what well, I mean? Because I'd be pretty pissed off that I got a guy and this guy is blowing everybody out and he's you know got all these skills and you're telling me that he's got to wait, but this other kid comes around with red hair and he's a huerito. He gets all the publicity off right? the bat. That's a problem. Well, and and then to make matters worse, Dave. So mm. I, I remember there was a, a telecast. It was in Spanish, okay? And I actually, actually have the translation video on my channel. You guys can see it on my playlist where Marquez is on a show right where, where Canelo's in as well. So is Nacho. And Canelo uh, – and this guy is saying – what do you mean he's going to not only fight for the title, but he's not going to fight the number one, the number two, the number three, the number four. He's going right. to fight Matthew Haddon, a dude that's not even in his weight class, bro. You know what I mean? And so when I heard Marquez speaking about the number one, the number two, the number three, I, I could just hear it in his voice, the frustration and it, him picturing himself and remembering himself in yep. that position, watching other guys that he already ranked ahead of, Get the number one spot without even beating him, you know, and then to make that crazy, challenge him to a fight, bro. Yeah, that that was crazy, man. I mean, I think back on that time, and I was like, this is like, you know, Matthew Hatton, and then and then uh, Jose, uh, 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 Josecito Lopez, you remember that? And I was just like, dude, are you serious? Like, this is what I mean, really? I mean, okay, you're, you're not even hiding the obvious anymore. You're just like throwing it right in our face. You're taunting us right in our, in our face. And I remember nobody in the media was was really asking them this. Like nobody was asking them, how do you, how do you, what is the definition of a champion? So I get them finally, okay? And I remember I had to do like one interview and I had to make sure, okay? Because the trick of sometimes of doing interviews with, with the, you know, with the PRs to like butter them up is like, I'm going to give them a lot of softball questions. And then when they feel confident with me, 
then I'm going to get them. Then that's when I pull them in. So I remember I did the softball questions with the first interview. And I said, and I promised them. I, I, I made them prosper. You're going to give me the next interview, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Boom, we get it. And I was like, okay, gloves are off. I'm going to ask them what I've been wanting to ask them. I get them on and I'm like, what is the definition of a champion? And he said, defending it against the best, blah, blah. So I go, said, then why are you like, so how do you like uh, adjust? I can't remember word for what I said. You have to go back and, and listen to the interview. But I was like, you know, like I was, what I was trying to get around was like, how do you then defend making guys jump up that don't even belong in that vision division and you're beating them? Like, how do you do that? And he hung up on me. You know, so it wasn't like he didn't know what they were doing for him. He knew. He knew what they were doing for him. And that's where I didn't have respect for him yet. Like, I didn't appreciate what he was doing because I was used to watching, you know, boxing for my heroes that were fighting from the from the bottom to the top. And Juan Mamarquez was one of those guys that fought from the bottom to the top. And now he's here. No, but, uh, but okay. at the end of the day, man, uh, with all that said, at what point, though, is Nacho going to – like, I get that the past is the past, right? At what point is he going to give – G-Funky, at what point is he going to give Canelo some credit? It just appears like he just ruled him out for life. Like, he ain't pound for pound. He ain't never going to be pound for pound. <laughs> That's, I don't care what he does. And he's never going to be an all-time great in Mexico. Uh, he just ruled them out. Uh, before you answer, though, this is uh, the May 20th edition of Hispanics Causing Panic. Make sure to throw a jab at the like button. Give me over 20 likes right now, all right? Um, and check out my show yesterday, Puncher's Chance, all right, that I did. Make sure you guys check that out as well. Hey, um, shout out to Drew Titan. He was speaking Spanish through the whole, all the, anytime. Pacquiao fought a Mexican, all right, every single time, all right? Uh, no, Paul. How's it going? I, I don't know how Juan Manuel Marquez would do with the A-side Canelo treatment. I mean, the dude would probably finish his career undefeated or something. Okay, with that type of treatment. Okay. Uh, but he definitely uh, earned the, the hard way, Chicano. Absolutely he did. Okay. But G-Funky, when, when is he going to give this guy some credit? Like, I, 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 I criticize Canelo just as much as everybody. You know, the way he got his first title shot with a catchweight that he didn't even, he didn't even make the catchweight. He got the title shot anyway. Okay, it's a welterweight, right? But at what point, you know, is can he leave some room? Like, oh, if he does, can he give us some room? Like, if he fights this guy or that guy? Because he also said that they're carefully matchmaking him and uh, they're, they're he's strategically avoiding certain middleweights he, and he specified middleweights. Hmm. What things I you mean, I could agree with that last part, you know? Um, but as far as him saying, you know, he'll this guy will never be pound for pound or anything like that. I mean, that's I mean, I wouldn't go that far, even though I've been, again, one of those guys that have criticized Canelo pretty good here uh, for good reason. But, um, you know, I won't go as that far to say that we all know, man, that, uh, <laughs> you know, there's there's no, nothing more stubborn than an old school Mexican, you know. And uh, I think hey, hey, that's crazy, crazy, man. Oh, you're talking about <laughs> I think there's gonna be that's gonna, oh, be, no. that, that's gonna be something he probably takes to the grave, unfortunately. But um, you know, I, I mean, I understand the frustration. I mean, we've we've talked here for several minutes about uh, the way that Marquez had to struggle to become what he was or what he is now in Mexican boxing, 
And, you know, it, it bothered me too, man. I really understand it. I just didn't get how, you know, so many fans are just so quickly just jumped on the bandwagon with Canelo when we had a guy in Marquez who was, he's already, you know, he was already doing his thing and he's, he's fighting just about everybody there is to fight, you know? Um, so I, you know, I really do understand Nacho's frustration, but, um, you know, there are some things that Canelo can do, uh, that could possibly change his mind, but unfortunately I just don't think that's going to happen with him, man. I think, you know, if, 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 if he's like my grandfather who was, you know, around his age, yeah, he's, <laughs> he, he's pretty stubborn, man. And it seems like it, you know, it seems like he's going to keep it that way. You well, gotta, no, you know what? I agree with you, bro. G from, I, I agree with you because, you know, here's, here's the thing though, too, you got to contribute to Nacho, you know, Nacho has groomed and developed champions, hall of famers, Right. And and seeing you gotta you, just think of this: be in his shoes, be at the times where you really had to uh, uh, put your fighters out there to to be the best, to fight the best. Right? The politics were there, but it wasn't as deep rooted as we're seeing it now. Right? So to see that his credentials were not good enough to get the recognition that he felt that it's Juan Mama Kids deserved, I, I feel for him. I definitely, definitely, definitely feel for him. I was reading right now one of, uh, let me see, uh, really quick. I wanted to bring this up. Uh, A-Rod, uh, even the Garcia's dad said if Vargas was taken care of like Canelo, he could have been, he could have uh, as big as a career. Oh, man. I, I disagree. And I'm going to tell you why I disagree with that. Canelo yeah. understood that he had his role and his team had another role. He allowed his team to take care of the outside stuff, the outside business. Fernando wanted to do both. Remember, it was Fernando that was calling for certain fights and demanded those certain fights. Main events didn't make the decisions. They made, they set up the fights, but they didn't look out for this kid and tell him like, it's too early, it's too soon. They wanted to ride that way because it's a small promotional group that was trying to get big, like top rank and, and everybody, you know, Don King at the time. They were trying to do that. So they were trying to ride the wave of an Olympian who they signed on and they had just lost to with the David Reed thing. So they were trying to ride that wave and they listened to a 21-year-old kid when they should have listened to their sense of business. That's the difference. Canelo was, is smart enough to listen to the sense of business of his team. Big difference. Absolutely. Speaking of A-Rod, uh, did y'all uh, see the show where Canelo and Reynoso have an interview with David uh, Fatelson? I, I believe he's from ESPN Deportes. He said everyone has uh, done it. Uh, he just gets more hate because of being the internet era. Do you think that's true, G-Fuck? Do you think it's just because we're in the internet era? No, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> some of these things, I mean, not to say that things like this haven't happened, but... Um, I think on this level, man, it's been, especially early in Canelo's career, it's been pretty bad, man. Like, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know how anybody can defend that Matthew Hatton fight. Like, I just, I don't, I don't know how anybody can possibly do it. I don't know how anybody could possibly defend you, this franchise champion thing. You know, I just. <laughs> no, there's no defending it. If you're objective, okay, and, and you just look at it for what it is, you can't really defend it, right? You can maybe explain it. You can maybe understand it. But but you can't defend it. There's a difference, no. right? You know, so no. the, you can erase it, which I think he did. I think he erased yeah. it. You know what I mean? I mean, I mean, look, I, I, like I said, I critic. I was a big critic of his of him. Um, right. But after you know, let's got to remember this. 
Gennady Golovkin was chasing a 154 pounder. Okay. Gennady yeah. Golovkin was after, and to this day, still after Canelo Alvarez. Okay. It, it, it finally forced Canelo Alvarez to, to step up. I remember when this was all being talked about and being said, I used to say, I didn't want to see that fight because Canelo Alvarez wasn't a natural 160 at the time. I just thought he was like a big frame kid. Wasn't confident that he could do. I thought that Gennady Golovkin was going to knock his head off his shoulders. And it didn't happen. The first fight, I got exactly what I thought was going to happen. You know, if, if Canelo can withstand the punching power of Gennady Golovkin. And that's what we saw. We saw Gennady Golovkin have his way with Canelo. It was a very tight fight. It wasn't a a uh, uh, draw fight that they gave it to. The, 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 you know, the outcome ended up becoming was a draw. I didn't even agree with that. I thought Gennady Golovkin did his part, did his job, and was a clear winner. But him coming back, Canelo coming back and wanting that match. Now, some folks are like, oh, what about the, the drug test? He cleared all that. You know, I mean, he, this guy was doing things that nobody would even dare to touch. He decided, hey, I'm going to do 365 days, and he did it. He signed on to it. I'm going to do the hair test, which he did. Nobody wanted to sign on to that. So he's the only guy next to Nonito Dornier, and I forgot the other kid uh, uh, that was a uh, a lightweight that did the same thing. Um, God, I can't remember. I, I can't believe I can't remember the name. But anyways, you know, and then he moved on and he started finding these tough fights. So I give him the credit where it's due, you know, and it's kind of like it doesn't forget what he did at, in the past. That's always going to be brought up. But it's yeah. where the point we're at now. I'm like, OK, now everything counts. Will Nacho Bernstein forgive him? Probably never. Like like G-Funk G said, he's going to take it to his grave. But I think Marquez will. I think when everything's done, the dust is finally settled. And we go into the Hall of Fame time where Canelo finally uh, retires. You're going to look at the best fights towards the, ten, the end of his career, not in the beginning of his career. Yeah. Well, look, look uh, in fairness, uh, Juan Manuel Marquez doesn't have him number one pound for pound or, or anything like that either. Um, will he in the future? I don't know. Right. But we, we, that, that remains to be seen. But I think that beef is there. And... and T-Funky, anything you wanted to add before we go to the next one? No, I think I've said my piece. Uh, <laughs> not trying to start another war here on YouTube between me and the uh, Canelo fans. <laughs> but uh, I think you made a great point uh, that, you know, we'll, when when the, all the dust is settled, we'll, we'll be looking more towards what he did towards the end of his career. That's right. more than what he did at the beginning. So, you know, we'll see, man. You know, we don't know. We can't look into the future. But, um, you know, he's he's turned it around a little bit. You know, I give credit where credit's due. You know, he's he's, right. he's turned it around a little bit. So, you know, the, we just got to wait and see, man. Can, yeah. let me, can let me add this really quick because about the sure. whole pound for pound thing, man. Let me tell you this. I don't believe in pound for pound. I think that's a crock of bullshit nowadays. Um, I got to tell you this. Pound for pound is more popularity. You know, if you look at fans nowadays with this internet, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? Everything is like, oh, this guy makes this much. This guy did this much. This guy, that's how people now weigh pound for pound. Pound for pound is skill level. Would this guy be able to compete with everybody on that, uh, every weight class? Would he be able to compete with them and beat them in that weight class? That's why that was pound for pound was developed. People have now changed it, just like religion. They all change it. What fits them, what makes them feel, you know, good about. I, I think 
pound for pound should be thrown out the fucking window. I think it's a ridiculous thing. I don't like a pound for pound list. I think it's stupid. To say Canelo is pound for pound, based on what? What is he? I mean, yes, he's had, you know, uh, Kovala's an argumentable win. Uh, people, you know, they're going to say like, well, you know, Kovala wasn't him. I agree with that. I don't think he was. I think he overtrained. But still, he signed on. He fought Canelo. Canelo beat him. The second fight with, with Gennady Golovkin, I thought he won that fight. He thought he came out there. It could have been a draw, too. You know, I thought it was a more convincing draw than it was the first fight. But I also can believe that he did win that fight because he fought Gennady Golovkin style. He made Gennady fight on the back foot. You know, but like I said, I go back again. The pound for pound, throw that shit out the door already. Stop using this stuff unless we're going to use it correctly. Right. I agree with that. In fact, I mean, I think we should go really old school with it. I mean, I just think right. that they should just call it, dude, this is the best pound for pound fighter in the sport. And it was basically like, just take out the term pound for pound, who's the best fighter in boxing? That That's all I meant. You know, and right. it turned it into these lists, and and then people they just come up with made up criterias and uh, pound exactly. for pound means like who moves up more weight classes. Well, that's not necessarily what it means at all. Like you know what I mean, Hagler exactly. uh, was a you could argue, a, you know, a pound for pound guy, but he didn't move up weight classes. You know, what I mean? it just depends. But yeah, people right. you know use it. You know, it's everyone has their own little criterias and some websites have a point structure. Like this guy gets so many points depending where they put them. And it's, I just, I just think the whole thing's money. Okay. Um, I've always just said, I've always yeah. had my, my guy. That's the number one pound for pound. And that's it. Dude, they have a list now where you see Clarissa Shields in the top 10 pound for pound with men. Okay. That's when you know shit's ridiculous. Same. I mean, I think, you know, Shields, man, listen, I think that she's a phenomenal. I think, uh, you know, I mean, I think in, in her own right, what has she accomplished, you know, uh, as an Olympian, gold medalist, right. uh, and 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 the shallow waters of the women boxing, and she's not ducking anybody. She's fighting what's the, the availability. I don't think it's her fault, you, you know what I mean, of the right. pool of what she – of sharks so that she can fish out. But at the same time uh, – to say pound for like, and it, it's for men too, like men boxing. To say pound for pound, it's to me you're reaching, you know, because you can't even break down why this guy's pound for pound. And the right. majority, eighty to ninety percent of fan, boxing fans, I'm sorry, I'm taking jabs at, at boxing fans, but pow, you guys can't even fucking give me a definition pow. of what that means, you know? Pow. Like you can't even tell me, you can't even give me reason why this guy's pound for pound. You know, you can't yeah. even break it down. So why are we, why are we using that? You know, I mean, money, how much they, you know, much money they draw, how, you know, what the signing is, you know, all this, that doesn't mean pound for pound at, at all. You know, I, I, it's just crazy to me, man. Sorry. That's my rant. But yeah, man, it's, yeah, a, the it, might pound, be the, it might be the Corona talking fellas. I'm sorry. It, it, it's, <laughs> it, I think they're talking about the pounds in their pockets, bro. Instead of like the, the, the boxing skills and shit. I don't know what that was going yeah. on. Here, but, you yeah. know, I remember, uh, back in the early two thousands after Shane Mosley had skipped over a weight class and moved up and he became the welterweight champ after beating De La Hoya. Um, I remember hearing on an HBO broadcast, uh, him and Larry Merchant were going back and forth a little bit about who they thought uh, pound for pound was the number one guy at the time, and Foreman actually said that he was like, "You should, you should make your list off of who who draws more fans, who makes the most money. That's the guy who should be the the pound for pound." And I'm like, "What? <laughs> like, I don't understand that one." Uh, but you know, that, and it was George Foreman that said this. Yes, it was George Foreman. I think it was when I think he was doing that Mosley, because he had like most revenues 
of his uh what was that 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 the Foreman grill? <laughs> the Foreman grill. He was making such shit look. I love George Foreman. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, I mean, I think there's just certain things that we just need to leave alone and get rid of, you know, certain right. things. Like, you know, uh, um, we can't get rid of the, the sanctioned bodies, unfortunately, because, like I said, belts matter to, to fighters. This is how you get another fighter to want to face another guy because of belt. Look at Canelo. He said originally about Gennady Golovkin, hey, go get a title. And I'll fight you. Go do this, okay? Look at right now, uh, Jorge Norris telling uh, Ryan Garcia, go get a, go, you know, showing all his bouts on his and his display box and other. Get a, get one of these, and then we'll talk about it. So titles do mean something, but it's to the fighters, to the right. fighters alone. You know, to us it doesn't mean anything. You know, I mean, we all know who's the baddest man on the planet. We all know of, of their division, and we all know we all know who is the champion, but. Those things we can't get, but to say pound for pound or other things like that, I say we need to just start scratching that off and throwing it away. I mean, I get people that are so upset about the Ring magazine, and I'm like, well, it's human flaw, and there's an right. agenda behind it. Hello, <laughs> you know, man. No, Paul says we need a vete a la verga list for bums. Okay, Chicago <laughs> Prophet says I've been seeing foreman and merchant. Bickering, Drew Titan says, people started to consider revenue, earning, and pound for pound. That's when I stopped paying attention to it. Uh, and uh, the Mas Chingon list, bro, is no Paul wants that list. Tom Brown, salute. How's it going, bro? Shout out to everybody in chat. Make sure you throw a jab at the damn like button. Check out. So there's some rumblings and rumors going on. The Athletic put out a story um, that Danny Garcia – it's going to be facing off against Errol Spence. Daniel Garcia comes out on some of the zone show and says, well, I mean, they told me it's either Errol Spence or Manny Pacquiao. And he seemed a little more interested in the Manny Pacquiao fight. Why wouldn't he? Right. So Dave, um, do you, is, is that, do you think that fight's going to happen with Errol Spence in the fall? And is it going to be pay-per-view in your opinion? Against Manny Pacquiao? Either or, like you think he's who do you think he's gonna fight, and do you think it'll be pay per view? It's gonna go pay per view. I mean, I mean, already Errol Spence and, and has already dabbled into the pay per view. He did it with Sean Porter, uh, Mike, Mikey Garcia. I mean, that's the only way that's gonna go. Unfortunately, once a fighter gets into that territory, uh, you know, I mean, it's like you walk into the water, getting off the sand and walking into the water. Why would you want to live on the sand and not be in the water anymore? Right. You know. So I, I yeah, I think it, it it's. I think it's a very sellable fight, to tell you the truth. Either guy, with Errol Spence and Manny Pacquiao. I know everybody wants to shit on, on Danny Garcia. I see that all the time. But here's a guy that dismantled Lucas the Machine Matisse when everybody was praising Matisse. And I was the only – I was like – me and a few others were not on that train. I actually predicted that Danny Garcia was going to dismantle him. You know, So I think I, the, my problem with Danny now is that if you watch the beginning of his career – when he was a prospect and he became a champion after beating Amir Khan, he fell in love with his power. Now he's a one-handed guy. Facing Manny Pacquiao, he's going to have a lot of problems, a la Keith Thurman. Keith Thurman had problems, and I said that too. I know everybody was writing off Manny Pacquiao. They were like, oh, Manny's going to get knocked out. He's going to get destroyed by Keith Thurman. I was like, no, he isn't. Because if Keith Thurman had problems with Danny Garcia, he's going to have a lot of problems with Manny Pacquiao. And if Danny Garcia had problems with Keith Thurman, guess what? He's going to have a lot of problems with Manny Pacquiao. Manny Pacquiao is a two-handed fighter. Manny hasn't forgotten that it takes two hands to win fights, not one. 
Denny's going to have a lot of a lot of issues. Same thing with Errol Spence. Errol uses both hands still. He hasn't fallen in love with his with his power. What he's fallen in love with is his boxing skills and how to kind of just dismantle you by being a boxer puncher. So wherever route that Danny goes, if he doesn't change and go back to right, kind of reform himself to the old Danny Garcia, which was using his legs and and just kind of setting up the punches, he's just there as the as the warm body for these two guys to finally meet Errol Spence and Manny Pacquiao later on next year. What are your thoughts, Chief Funky? Which fight do you think happens in uh, either or? Do you think it's going to be pay-per-view? I agree. It will be pay-per-view. I agree. Both guys are stylistically matchup problems for uh, Danny Garcia. Although I'll give Danny one thing. I know um, he has definitely fallen in love with his power. That's for sure. Um, but one thing I got to give him, man, he, he's got really good timing on that left hook that he likes to throw. Um which could be very dangerous to a lot of guys, especially someone like a Manny Pacquiao who throws so many punches. You know, he could slip one in there and, and catch him, and, you know, <laughs> Pacquiao might not get up if he gets hit with that left hook from Danny Garcia. But um, I still think that that's a bad matchup for him. I think Pacquiao is just too fast. His movement's too good still. Uh, Garcia is very flat-footed nowadays. Um, I think you'll have a lot of trouble trying to catch him. And Earl Spence, well, I mean, the thing is this with Earl Spence, um, you know, we haven't really, we have, I mean, I have to say really, we haven't seen him at all since his big accident that he had. Right. right. So, I mean, you know, he's had a lot of time off, which is good for him. Uh, I'm glad he's been able to take time off to recover, to see if he's, you know, 100% ready back in the game. Um, I mean, to jump right back in with a guy like Garcia, who is a top 10 fighter at 147, that's, man, that's a... That's a big little step right there for him coming off of that that uh, accident. So uh, I mean I don't know, man. I mean, how old is the kid? Spence. Spence? Yeah, oh, that's a good question. I'm not sure how old he what is. is happen, man, find out for us. How old is he? Now we need a fact checker really quick. I don't know where AJ 10's at, so I'm gonna have to do my own fact checking. So uh, he's 30 years old. 30 years old. Mm. Yeah, that's up there. I still think though he's young enough to recoup, get himself back together. Uh, you know what I mean? I mean, if he was pushing 35, I would say it's a little bit different. I would say like, well, oh, it's kind of difficult to make that, you know, that leap and get in with Manny Pacquiao. I mean, with Danny Garcia, Errol Spence, you know, um, so I don't know, man. I mean, I, I agree uh, uh, with, with G-Funk, but at the same time, I'm like wondering, um, youth may have may have a say in it, you know, of him like recuperating and getting back 100 percent, you know. So yeah. that's going to be something. And you know what? I remember, I remember when the crash happened and as soon as I read, you know, you know, there was some lacerations and loss of teeth. I mm. knew it was serious. You know what I mean? I saw people posting yeah. like on Twitter, like, ah, I just lost a couple of teeth. Like, bro, like you don't just break teeth. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's right. <laughs> like, that, that's a big impact. You know, and uh, to have surgery there, that, that, that's important. And that's the big X factor. Like, if, if it was before this accident, I would favor Spence, right? Like, I'm talking 70%, 30%. Now I'm 60-40 about it. You know, maybe even closer than that. You know, I don't know how Spence right. is going to react in the ring, man. I don't know how that's going to go, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, so we don't even know if the fight's going to happen. Now, what about a Manny well, Pacquiao fight, uh, Dave? Uh, how do you think a Manny Pacquiao fight, uh, you know, you think they'll do that pay-per-view? No fans, nothing? 
Well, real quick, just to 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 add what what G Funk just said about Danny Garcia's Danny Garcia's power, I agree with G. I think that I think that that's the one thing that that he carries and can possibly turn around. We can't count out Danny Garcia with that power. You know, right hand, left hand, the guy's got. You know, he, he he sits down on those punches really, really well. The other thing that Danny brings to the table is um, is is his thrive. Like, I've never seen the kid give up. Has anybody seen the kid give up? He's always trying to land a big shot. Even right. when, he fought, when he fought Keith Thurman in that second half, it was Keith Thurman that decided that Optus did not engage anymore. He went – he put on his uh, uh, running shoes, and he decided to, like, circle around him around – him, and not go after him, you know. So, you know, Danny Garcia's punching power at 147, it's real. It's a real deal. Now, going back with, with Manny Pacquiao, Manny, I think, yeah, it would happen. I'll tell you why, because Manny's all about the green. You know, my, Manny's a prize fighter. He, he doesn't hide that. Remember when he didn't want to fight in Las Vegas because of taxes? And he was like, I'm not going to fight there. You know, send me somewhere else. And he was doing that. You know, so to me, Manny's like, I don't care where it happens. It doesn't matter. I just got to get paid. And rightfully so. These guys are prize fighters. At the end of the day, they're prize fighters. They got to get paid. Absolutely, man. You know, um, we will we will see. What about uh, what do you think, Chief Funky? I mean, about a pay-per-view with no crowd or anything like that. You, you think we're, we're ready for that? I mean, UFC is already doing it. So what do you think? Yeah, um, I think that UFC is already kind of uh... – set the precedent, I guess <laughs> they've had a pay-per-view with no fans. So I think boxing will probably end up doing that. I'm not sure which fight that will be. Um, I think a fight with, with a Manny Pacquiao and Earl Spence, that's a huge, huge fight at 147. Don't know if they want to miss out on, on that gate money, you know, for that. Yeah. So I think the more realistic one would probably be Pacquiao versus Garcia to do in front of an empty place, but you never know, man. I mean, we're all dying to see some boxing here. <laughs> I know these guys you. are dying to make some money, whether fans are there or not. So, you know, it's very, I think it's a good, good chance that it happens, but I don't know, man. I, I'm, I'm to the point where I'm just, I'm ready to see a real fight, man. Well, let me just kind of, uh, at, at this here. Okay. Yeah. One, when it comes to the pay-per-view, if, 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 whether it's PBC, right, if they're smart, this is what they would do. They would lower the pay-per-view price. And let me tell you why, okay? Uh, working in the TV industry, the reason pay-per-views are priced so high because they're assuming people are going to have a fight party, invite people over, and they all pitch in for the fight and stuff like that, right? You, right. It, it, People aren't doing that right now with quarantine, Right, so I think they're gonna have to lower those prices, bro. Like maybe forty bucks, thirty bucks, twenty bucks, or something like that. If they do a pay per view fight, in my opinion, is what they should do. Uh, but go ahead, Dave. What were you gonna say? I was gonna say this. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I was reading this um, the other day. You know, soccer fans are actually paying to have their cutout image of themselves on a board placed in the stadiums. They're paying for that. Boxing fans, you can do the same thing. Would you guys be willing to pay to have an image of you? G Funk, you imagine a big old G Funk cardboard cutout sitting in the stands? <laughs> no, it's a free advertisement, bro. Like, 
<laughs> put on the t-shirt. These stuff, uh, I'll be like this. Hey, I was gonna say only only if it, I can put my uh, Canelo Power shirt on it. <laughs> I thought you. Were, I, I thought you were gonna say the only way I would do that if they allow me to put up my sod of grass, all green, in the front of me. <laughs> yeah. Hey. I'm telling you, it's a good idea. Advertisers could pay for the T-shirt that the person front row has, or something right. like that. Hey, it's 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 actually a good idea. It's better than nothing. The only but, reason I'm asking this, the only reason I'm asking this, because you have a lot of these mamons that that are fans and and even do it in their media. They go, oh, true fans pay, you know, to be there to support their fighters. Okay, I'm wondering if those cabrones. Are you gonna pay for that cardboard? Because I hope you do. Because you put your put your money where your mouth is at and stuff, you know. Because no they don't you paying for the zone and all that is you're a real fan. They're really contributing. So I thought I found that to kind of be hilarious. But by the way, Chicano Prophet, you're asking to be seen no fight in a theater, bro. The shits are closed, bro. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> and you're gonna have to pay for that fight. But that's my point. You know how many people are gonna be like, man, I want to see this fight. They're not allowing big crowds right now or shit right. like that. You know what I mean? Or I don't want to go. I live with my abuelita. I don't want to come back home and get her sick. Whatever the case is, right? Um, you I don't know, know, man. Rastas, you know, sometimes, I mean, look what happened on Cinco de Mile in San Jose, California. These fools were like, I'm not staying home. I'm going cruising. And they did it. And guess what? They all got, like, uh, like I forgot what the percentage was of them, these pendejos. They got, like, COVID-19. Now they're regretting it. Like, East side of San Jose has got the highest right wow. now of infected people. So you never know. Absolutely. Uh, check it out. Uh, a couple of months ago, someone said he's referring to Errol Spence still in the gym, but not sparring because of problems with the mouth yeah, area. That, that's, that's very concerning. She got a profit. Good point. And since the fans won't be uh, condensed, there may be uh, buy orders if it's a, a reasonable. Absolutely. Put it at a reasonable price. More people will buy it. And I think overall, they'll probably make more money. Who knows? But but mm -hmm. they have to make the price reasonable, bro. You know what I mean? Just because of the of the circumstance, and I get the point about the Chicanos, but but because because of that, they should lower the price. Okay. Did he lower the price for the uh, UFC? No, no, they did not. <laughs> and then look what the, the numbers that they brought. So I don't UFC, know. Yeah. Well, true. I'm not sure because boxing. Look, boxing is the same thing. Like boxing is like Nacho Bernstein. Right, right. They're not gonna. <laughs> they're not gonna budge. They're like what? They did that many numbers, and everybody paid. We're not going to do that. There's no but way. By the way, I, I don't. I, I could never take the UFC numbers for face value. They're a private company, right? And even ESPN puts an asterisk next to a number, then it says unofficial numbers. They, well, what do you mean? Like you're ESPN, you put on the pay per view. Right. What do you mean they're non-official? Yeah. And I mean, people are desperate taking... right now, man. They want to see live action. I have casual. Uh, I casual hear you. Boxing fans texting me this right. They're texting me these articles about. Conor McGregor accepting his the challenge from Oscar De La Hoya, and they're like, "Oh, dude, I want to see this thing, man! Like, I'm I'm ready to see this." I'm like, Wait, "Are you, you guys are?" <laughs> what about this? What about what if they put like screens on the seats and we could watch it like like you know like we're watching a fight and we'll be like on like this, you know what I mean? Yeah. Something like that, you know. Um, but but I don't know. Look, at the end of the day, um, we will see. Uh, I'll take it. Uh, there's a lot of people that are like. No, I don't want to watch boxing without a crowd. Okay, so no boxing at all or boxing without a crowd. Like, which one do you want? You know what I mean? Like, like I'll take you without the crowd, bro. All right? Same here. I'll, you know, Same I'll, I'll, here, man. Yeah, so, so I'll just take it that way. With that said, all right, 
with that said, uh, really quick, Robesi Ramirez is expected to return June 9th, or at least according to him, he is. Right uh, Right now, I believe he's 2-1, and one, right? Uh, two straight wins after his, his uh, disastrous debut. I mean, gold medalist out of Cuba. He was known as the guy that beat Shakur Stevenson in the gold medal match and all this hype, and then he just loses. Um, you know, and he lost to... Uh, Aiden Gonzalez, uh, and, and he's already talking. He's talking about down the line. I want to face Shakur Stevenson. Why isn't he, you know, talking about facing Gonzalez again, Dave, and, and avenging his loss right there? You know, you always got to attach your name to the most popular name, you know, and that's that's just the way that's a traditional way of these fighters now. I mean, it's an internet way of what fighters are doing, they attach themselves to the guy that's most talked about. And has their clout that has the clout, right? That's right. that's that's the magic carpet you jump on. That's why he's doing it. All right, uh, but you don't think you know he should he should fight he could beat that guy, okay? He's a journeyman, bro. He should he just fight that dude, get get that win and get him out of the way. Or you think I'm not even gonna risk it, I'm just gonna move on. I mean, you know, the, here's the thing: like, like, look, I like Ryan Garcia. I no. think Ryan Garcia has got some good skills. Okay. Did Ryan Garcia, I mean, if you're going to bitch and moan about Canelo Alvarez's, uh, uh, you know, intro into boxing and where he's at, I mean, at least Canelo was fighting a whole lot before getting all this prize money and recognition. He was out, he was out there for a minute, you know, Ryan Garcia, here he is Uh YouTube sensation, Instagram, and cessation and he's getting all this recognition and i think the younger generation you're going to see a lot of this unfortunately you're going to see a lot more of this because this is where we're at this is where we're at now with our sport it's quicker to get the i mean look recording artists are out there they're able to get their stuff out there and faster than the more more traditional way fighters not just fighters but people in general they don't want to take the law hall to get to the money point they want it immediately. That's that's where we're at, you know. So, do I blame him? No, because he sees exactly how it worked for A, B, and C. Why would he want to do it? You know, that's that's why that's why he's like, no, I don't want to redeem myself. Why should I redeem myself? You know, I, I can attach my name to this guy. Maybe possibly uh, uh, create enough noise where everybody's gonna be like, yeah, I want to see this fight. Let's make this fight happen because we're in the internet world. Chief Funky, what do you think, man? I mean, he's over here trying to cloud chase a dude he already beat in the uh, in the gold medal match, by the way. All right, but but he ha- he he doesn't he ain't talking about the dude that beat him in his debut match, bro. <laughs> yeah, I know <laughs> that's Crazy. pretty funny. Um, but you know, honestly, I think he'll probably end up getting back in there with that guy eventually. Uh, I don't know how how quick this fight with Stevenson will happen. Um, Although he is, you know, becoming one of the, the biggest, youngest uh, stars in boxing right now. Um, it will happen. I look forward to that fight, man. I look forward to that the rematch, if possible, between um, uh, Ramirez and, and Stevenson. But he's got to get in there and beat this guy. You know, I'm an old school fight fan, man. So the dude beats you in a close fight. Um, hey, get back in there. Get, get rid of this dude. Show them why you're the the medalist and and all that good stuff man and then you start calling people out like stevenson 
But um, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know when that's gonna happen. I hope it does though, because I always like to see those matches take place in the professionals' uh, boxing ring from well, amateurs, you know. But they, uh, the guy that this. beat him is is Aiden Gonzalez. He's four two and two, bro. He's got to rematch that dude and beat him, bro. Yeah, you know but I mean? let me ask you this: what's more, what's more sellable for a promoter to put out? You beat this kid, beat Shakur Stevenson, or he lost to his debut to a guy that a lot of us don't even know. I'm gonna go right. The story's more juicy that hey, he beat him in the Olympics. He beat him, you know, in the amateurs. That's the story that they're gonna sell. That story's gonna be more appealing. And trust me, if it happens, do you think ESPN's gonna mention that this kid Ramirez lost in his pro debut? Debut? They probably will throw it in there really quick. But the the but, but the meat of the story is gonna be hey, he beat Shakur. This is a revenge. For Shakur, it's going to surround Shakur. So, of course, Shakur and them are going to want that fight because it's a sellable fight and it's going to put asses in the seat. Whereas, fight the guy that 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 beat you in your uh, pro debut, what you'll probably make minimums. Not even you will probably make won't minimums, and you'll get more money fighting Shakur, and you might lose that fight or you might win that fight, and it can escalate you different. You know, I, that's the gamble that they're doing, which is a very smart move. To tell you the truth, you go with the guy that's got the clout. You go with the more recognizable name, and you go with the better story. It's a no-brainer, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, we, we talked off the line. You, you mentioned how uh, Lomachenko lost to Salido when he became more established. You know, they were out for the rematch. But that's Orlando Salido, though. Orlando Salido was a world champion. Yeah. And, like, this guy lost to a dude who was just a journeyman. I just feel like he has to avenge it. Like, I, I just... Hmm. I mean, I'm well, not saying, I, don't, uh, I don't think he has to, man, to tell you the truth. Because no. here's the thing: if he beats Shakur Stevenson, he just beat the man. You, right. you know what I mean? And 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 he could either it could either boost him, or it could be like when people beat Oscar De La Hoya. You know what I mean? They beat him, but they didn't do much for their career. You know, because Oscar still went on and kept fighting and and, and was still a mega star. You know, right. that could happen. It could happen for Ramirez, though, on the other hand, where he beats Shakur Stevenson. Guess what? He's on the map. People want to see him, you know? So people are going to forgive him for losing to a journeyman in his pro debut. They could say, hey, man, he got cold feet. I don't know. You know what I mean? His fans will eventually, if that happens, would eventually come up with the, great, the, the best excuse ever to, to allow him to avoid because the money's got to be there, you know? And, and at the same time, the money's got to be right, not just for him, but for the opponent, the guy that, that beat him. The guy could that guy, if he beats Shakur Stevenson, I'll guarantee it won't happen. And I'll tell you why. Because the other guy would be like, Well, shit, I want more money. Yeah. So money always comes into play. Yeah, money always comes into play. Um, and look, I watched that fight, man. And I, I felt Rubesi Ramirez won, but it, it wasn't official. Same the here. Knockdown, the knockdown just played a big role in it, and it was like a four-round fight and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I mean, hey, I'll, he wouldn't be the first guy that lost early in his career. Right. You know, and, and you know, a lot – even Salito, we talked about him. Uh, Salvador Sanchez had a loss early in his career. Hop- and they Hopkins. just they kept – yeah, Hopkins, right? They kept him moving. Um, so I get it. ESPN removed the loss from Lomachenko's record when they were showing him on TV. <laughs> so maybe they'll do that with the Robesi Ramirez, bro. They'll be like, he's the undefeated Robesi Ramirez. Uh, he had that one loss. Right? Anyway, um, we're going to move on. 
You know, uh, or maybe they'll say, oh, he was robbed in that fight and move on or something. You know what I mean? It wouldn't surprise me. ESPN always does something like that. Plus, there's so many people that don't even know shit about boxing that watch those ESPN cards. It won't even even bother them, you know. (laughs) They'll hear gold medalist defeated Shakur Stevenson for the gold medal match, and that's all that will sell. So I do got to agree with that. You guys kind of changed my mind a little bit, actually. All right. Uh, now, Ian says maybe uh, he saw how Lomachenko never uh, rematched Salido and got away with it. Yeah. Uh, although, look, man, this dude ain't no the guy he lost to. No. Uh, okay. It, it ain't no Salido. That's not true though. Lomo did uh, offer them, and it was uh, Salido and their team uh, that right. didn't. They 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 felt shaft. They were like, "You're offering us very little money because Lomo was at. You know, he was like, he was the star." Regardless, and that's what I mean. Like when Oscar De La Hoya lost to somebody, it or even like Eric Morales when he lost, it didn't mean or Manny Pacquiao, it didn't mean that 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 other person was going to automatically be a mega star. You know, it, it just doesn't happen that way. You know, so you know, uh, uh, Orlando should have been the A side, but guess what? He was treated as the B side for negotiations for a rematch. Absolutely, guys are tuning in to the. May 20th edition of Hispanics causing panic. Make sure you throw a jab at the like button. Hit that cross at the subscribe. And the nice uppercut at the bell button. That way you're notified every time D-Style Boxing comes on live. Dave, tell everybody what's going on with the Leave It In The Ring radio. What do you have going on right now? Um, Well, I started doing a, a show that I've always wanted to do, which is outside of boxing, is interview folks that, that – um. It's not Bob, you know, so what I call it's called uh, gloves down, beers up. And it's just basically, you know, putting the gloves away and talking about other interests that I've always had uh, outside of boxing, you know, because um, like I said, everybody knows me as, you know, 97 Rub, Dave Duenas is the boxing guy, but nobody's ever, I've never like spoken to anybody about my outside interests. So if you haven't had a chance, go back. I've interviewed artists, uh, uh, two artists, uh, uh, a reggaeton artist, Vachento. And then if you're from my era and time of the 90s, when the clubs were popping and they were still cruising in the streets of uh, Northern California and in San Jose, uh, interviewed uh, uh, a high energy uh, uh, freestyle artist by the name of Spanish Fly, who song Precious. Uh, really interesting interview. I got another guy that I'm going to have on soon. Um, I got two scheduled interviews. I got another guy that's pretty interesting where um, he got life uh, in, in, uh, in, in San Jose. He got life in prison. Uh, when he was not the shooter and he was able to beat the case after like 25 years, man, he got like 25 to life and they weren't, he was not looking at, you know, day of light to come out and stuff. So um, I have him scheduled to sit down and, and talk to him about all of that. Um, and as usual, the normal schedule, man, the usual stuff that we're doing, you know, throwing just content. I'm throwing up a lot of uh, past interviews that I've done just this kind of like, uh, you know, relive it, you know, everybody can relive those interviews. Um, some really good heat. Moments I just put up the uh, Issa Smith and uh, Kid Chocolate, uh, Peter Quillen, when they both, uh, you know, uh, were going at it on Twitter. And then they they kind of they tagged me about, you know, Issa Smith, like, well, get on, leave it in the ring. And I was like, well, shit, that's a great idea. And uh, it ended up becoming a really good iconic night for leaving the ring because uh, these guys were just like, well, it was more Issa Smith. He was laying it on uh, Peter Quillen, telling him to fix his grill. Absolutely, man. Make sure you guys check that out. Subscribe to Live in the Ring here on YouTube and hit that bell button. That way you're notified when they go on live. Um, going to try and go on with Dave here and there on his channel as well. Hopefully we do those Monday shows once in a while, at least once a month or something like that. Um, so 
Uh, shout out to Boston Conference in the Red Zone, Chicago provinces with these. Uh, will these fighters uh, be used to these lower purses? They've been used to big money while doing little. I mean, I don't know if they're going to get lower purses, bro, but uh, well, we'll see how it goes uh, with that. What's up, Joe Lopez? 40 out. Make sure you guys throw a jab at the damn like button. And uh, make sure you subscribe to G-Funky84 here on YouTube as well, All right? Me and G-Funky, tomorrow we should be doing something on the channel about the Owen Hart um, incident, bro. I mean, I, I found out a lot of things on the documentary. Dude, I was blown away that Vince McMahon sued the widow of Owen Hart, right? I mean, I couldn't believe it. I know it's a countersuit. And, Dave, I don't know how much you know about wrestling or something, but you're familiar about Owen's Hart death, right? I'm not, man. I'm going to be honest. I'm not. Uh, um, I mean, I was when I was a kid. Like, I met the animal, uh, Andre the Giant, uh, uh, Hulk Hogan, but I was a kid, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I watched it when Mike Tyson went on. <laughs> I got you. I got you. Who did yeah, it? And, uh, and, then, and then my heart was crushed when I found out that it wasn't. I'm sorry, I mean, I don't know if you guys know this, but it's not real. I'll tell you what is real. Owen Hart fell from the rafters. Uh, they had him like on a harness. Oh, yes. I, yes, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. I and then suit the widow. I couldn't believe it when, when I was, I was like, what? It was a counter suit because she was suing him for the death of her husband. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and, and it's in Dark Side of the Ring, Owen Hart from Vice. It, it, it's a great documentary. Um, I, I wanted to start watching that, but in, like, unfortunately, I just haven't had a chance. And I'm going to tell you what, when I started watching the first episode, uh, which was about Hector, um, it was about uh, Macho Man, right? Not Hector, about Macho <laughs> Man. <laughs> Macho Man, right? Well, uh, um, um, I started watching because I was a, I was a, uh, a, you know, I loved, you know, uh, Macho Man and stuff, <laughs> you know, all that, that uh, uh, fire he brought and stuff. But my old lady, my wife at the time, she's like, you know, at, you know, she's like, I don't want to watch this, you know. So we had to switch it over to ID. I'm like, you want to watch this, but you, <laughs> you don't want to watch that. I'm like, all right, whatever. You're Sounds right. like my wife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, bro, that they're actually kind of fascinating, even if you're not a wrestling fan. They're, right. They're more yeah. fascinating than the wrestling. Um, yeah, but, I have to say, Vice has done yeah. a great job with these uh, little mini documentaries on on these stories of these wrestlers. But make sure you guys are there and to watch that because I got a special little thing I want to bring out during that show, a special little story about Owen Hart. So make sure you guys are there, man. Well, there you go. Uh, with that said, man, I want to talk about me, Vida Loca, and I'm not talking about my life, all right? Uh, you know, Johnny Tapia, man, and uh, I, on in the description, I have an interview from Leaving the Ring from a couple years ago. Um, oh, wow, yeah. I interviewed uh, Tapia. The link is there. And when you watch that, make sure you subscribe to the channel as well. Very, very good interview. And with that said, Dave, talk to us about what do you remember about Johnny Tapia, like just in general? Johnny, man, I mean, I, I got it. You know, when I did the interview, um, which was a great, I mean, this guy uh, is, is first off, he's my wife's favorite fighter. His book had just came out. We both bought the book. And I think within three days, we read the whole book about his life and had a much better understanding of who Johnny Tapia was. And I was able to relate to a lot with Johnny. And the reason, you know, even before reading the book, um, 
of what of his lifestyle and what he was going through, his struggle with drugs is because my uncles, you know, my uncles, um, Tio Mocho uh, is an old school homeboy. My, my Tio passed away, uh, but he struggled but in and out of going to Folsom, Quentin and drugs and, you know, uh, being gang related, et cetera, you know. So I, I was I grew up around all that. You know, so I remember doing the interview and I was telling them that I was a huge fan. It was like an idol of mine. And I remember getting a lot of flack for that. They were like, how could you like like this guy? You know, this guy, you know, was a, you know, et cetera, and an X amount and whatever. And I was like, well, because the fact is that I grew up around that. I am a product of a broken home. I'm a product of a bro- broken system. You know, I never really talk about it on the air. I never really like, you know, go into depth of what my life. What I've been and what I've done, you know, but I'm, I'm no angel. Uh, um, I've, I'm, a, I'm exactly a, I'm not, I don't, I'm not apologetic for people that, that continue that lifestyle, but I definitely, I, I definitely feel for them because it's a web man. That's very difficult to, to get off of, you know, and this is the same year when Edwin Baladio had just murdered his wife and, um, I remember the guy that was co-hosting with me. They used to do a YouTube channel, Strikeheart. Uh, we were prepping before this interview, and we were talking about it. And Strikeheart was like, "Hey, should I ask him if, if he's ever gotten to that point? Maybe thinking because of you know the drugs that you know, which make you spin out of your mind. Should I ask him he, that that thought ever came across killing Teresa?" And um, I was immediately like, "Yeah, go for it. I think that's a great question." And and at first, you know, Strikeheart was like kind of like tiptoeing around that question. And I just went for it. I was like, hey, man, you know, this is what he's saying. And and Johnny's like, yeah, you do. You know, like Johnny took it like he knew where we were going with it. And he was like, what do you think? Like, you know, uh, you asked me if I ever thought about killing my wife. And he goes right into that, you know. Um, and I think Johnny's just so refreshing because of everything the guys went through, man. Like if you haven't had a chance, read his goddamn book because – You'll have a better, better understanding of why he was he was in the ring and outside the ring. This guy just went through the mill, bro. You know, it's so it's so difficult to sit there and judge this person without knowing what he's been through and what he's done and how much burden this guy carries on his shoulders. You know, and uh, I felt I felt I felt his pain even in that interview, uh, watching his documentary after he had passed away. I felt his pain like. Wow, you know, because uh, like I said, I'm a product of a broken home. Right. Yeah, man, a, a lot of pain in the life of Johnny Tapia, and reading through. I mean, the the amount of things this guy went through is unbelievable, man. Right. Yeah. Uh, that that's why a question it, it was like nothing to him. Like, um, shit, I've been through so much. Uh, asking me a question is nothing. You know what I mean? Um, Pretty much, yeah. But I liked how he kept saying, man, like, man, if I ain't telling you the truth, I ain't not going to lie to you or something like that. Um, yeah, I'm not going to talk about it. He's like, if I'm not telling the truth, I'm not going to. It was like in those lines. Yeah. You know? And um, yeah, I, I, you know, dude, I was so, I mean, you want to talk about truthful. He was scheduled to have to fight. And you know, Johnny, like, why don't you retire? And what he said was, I, I, you know, if you remember, he goes, he goes, uh, dude, I don't want to fight. Like, I'm being forced to fight. Like, they didn't, they wouldn't release me unless I agreed to fight. You know, it wasn't like he wasn't aware that he was out of his prime. Right. You know, but he ha- he was now, basically what he was was a circus uh, act to stay out of, out of jail. Chief Funky, what do you remember about Johnny Tapia, man? 
Man, a lot of good things with Tapia, especially in the ring. Uh, outside of the ring, you know, unfortunately, he ran into some trouble. But I want to say something real quick. Um, a little, little fun fact, I guess I could say, with Johnny Tapia. His very last professional fight was on June 4, 2011, which is the exact same day that I got married. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's it's a pretty fun thing there with, with me and, and the last time that this guy fought. Um, but, man, he's had a ton of great fights over the years. Um, this guy has to be considered, at least in my opinion, and I'm pretty sure in most people's opinion, he's got to be in the top 10 best Mexican-American fighters of all time. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's a, 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 I think he's one of a five-time champion. Um, you know, he doesn't have that many losses on record either. I mean, considering some of the guys he's been in there with, you know, uh, his fight with, uh, what was the name of the other guy from his city? Uh, was it Romero? Romero? Uh, Danny Romero, yeah. Danny. Romero. Those are some, that was a good fight. Um, the, the Ayala fights were great. Um, and then, of course, you know, he's ran into some trouble. And, and, and like 97 Ruff just said, um, the story is relatable to me also. Uh, you know, not to be funny here, and and please, guys, understand. I'm not trying to be funny about what this guy went through in his life. But when my dad and I started to notice Johnny Tappy, and we started to watch him regularly, um, the things that he would do, you know, his mannerisms, things like that, like we knew, like that, automatically that he had a drug problem without even knowing the background. Because unfortunately, I grew up around a lot of drug addicts, you know. Um, my father was abuser um, early in his life, and and when I, while I was young, and you know a lot of people that uh, he knew were, were were abusers also. You know, you could just tell right away if you've been around those kind of people, you can just tell right off the bat. Right. And um, you know, honestly, I didn't even know that he had those kind of issues until he fought uh, Barrera, and they brought it up before mm. the fight, all the issues that he had. So, you know, once, once I heard that, I was like, damn, you know, I, unfortunately, you know, I, I, I kind of already knew it without knowing it. Um, it's sad that, um, we have to go through this, but you know, it's something that's plagued our community for years, man. Um, you know, that's something that I pray every day that our people can just wake up and leave this garbage alone. Um, because like Dave said earlier, man, can you just imagine we all came together did the thing and, and put put the, the drugs down and, and the gang bang and stuff on like man we'd be a strong people. Now, unfortunately we're not there. But Johnny Tapia is a guy that went through tremendous adversity outside of the ring, dealing with his drug problems and being incarcerated here and there. And then to come back, man, after what, four years or something? And then yeah. to become become a champion, a world champion many times over. That's a that's a hell of an accomplishment, man. Especially in a sport like boxing, it's not like any other sport where there's no contact or something like that. Like this is the fight game, you know. And then to come back and to become a world champion like he did, and have the great fights like he did, um, he's he's man, he's got a hell of a story. And um, and Dave, once we come off the air, if you want to say now, uh, let me know the name of that book, man. I would love to get a hold of it, add it to my collection of books, you know. <laughs> and yeah, I would I love to read that thing, man, because yeah, you know. I know it's just Johnny Tapia. Um, I don't know if I can't see right there. You know, let me add this really quick because even in the interview, um, I had asked him, 
because um, I am an, an advocate of not believing that we should incarcerate our children. You know, I think that when you put right. kids into juvenile halls, you just make them better criminals. Okay. It's our way of like throwing, you know, throwing them aside, you know, like right now you see a lot of kids that they're on their phones a lot or they're doing stuff. They don't even focus on, on society. They don't even know how to function outside of that little box that they've created and stuff, you know? And I believe that juvenile hall has always been that, that first step of, of showing kids that you don't give a shit, you know? Um, it's kind of ironic that we're talking about Johnny Topic because I was talking about, about uh, uh, my friend, Emily, uh, who's a publicist. And uh, we were talking about uh, like just uh, the general of, 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 of Chicano. Okay. The culture. And um, I was telling her about, you know, the thing that sucks is that a lot of people miss, they miss the whole cult, Chicano culture. Like when, when you tell an outsider what Chicano culture is, they automatically think gangbanging. They automatically think like the negativity of, of, of our people. Okay. That are American uh, Mexican Americans. Okay. Um, which I really hate by saying, we're, we're, you know, this, this land was, you know, Mexico before, you know, um, you know, but, but going back what I was talking about, it, it, it sucks because see, when, when I was a kid growing up, we were told by the system, we weren't shit. You ain't going to be shit. We couldn't even walk certain streets. We couldn't go like it was, you know, from first street to 16th street, you go to 16th street, past 16th to 20th street. It was Portugal. If you went to the South side, that was whites and blacks. Like we were literally told you can't do this. You can't do that. And if you did, you got stopped. Okay. So, and then when you end up in the system, you know, when you're in school, they basically already prepping you future is, you know, like my dad, my dad wanted to, my dad was trying to go to college. My dad was trying to be a police officer and they were literally trying to convince them. You can't be a cop. You could be a janitor. You could be a carpenter. You could be a cement guy, but you want to be a cop. Are you serious about that? No, you might want to rethink everything. So Johnny Tapia is a product of that. And he's a product of a guy that ended up in juvenile hall, the juvenile hall systems at a very early age. And it was told, this is what you're going to be. And I, I, I think the beauty of his story, man, is he, he just kind of rose above that, became a world champion, but he just couldn't get rid of his demons. Like most of our cousins and uncles, you know, like I said, my uncle and my cousin who passed away, it was back to back. They passed away. And these guys were a big impact in my life. You know, I mean, yeah, man, they were druggies. Yeah, they were, you know, in, involved in some real shit, but they were great people, good people, good hearted people. But it was embedded in their soul that they were pieces of shit. And I think that's terrible. And we had a chance to talk yeah. to Johnny Tapia about that and said, do you agree that we should put, like, basically throw these kids to the side to, to, to really just kind of let them know you're pieces of shit. This is what you're going to be. Rather than talking to them and put them in counseling and kind of get into the root of what the problem is. You know, I, I, I don't mean to make it to like a real serious show. I apologize because, like I said, this is like it's a very deep thing for me because I've had so many people in my life, in my family, that, that this has happened. I was one of the, like I said, I was a product of that. Well, and, and the thing about boxing uh, for a guy like Johnny Tapia is even when right. society tells you, no, you can't do, you can't be a lawyer. You can't do, you can't be a cop. You, you can't do all these good. You can't go to college. Can yep. your parents afford college? No, then you don't go to college then. Right. Yeah. But you stay there. You stay right there. Even the Chicanos that make it and they fucking, they, they, they toss the ladder out of the way. You know what I mean? Uh, they're yep. the ones that hold you back the most sometimes. Okay, your own. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. But because the you know, boxing thing is that you could fight your way. You know what I mean? That's what Johnny Tapia right. did. Boxing led him, you know, fight his way to making money, fight his way to making a good living for himself. You know, exactly. through boxing. That's what boxing does. And you know, the one thing about Johnny Tapia is this, and I'll let you go in a little bit, Dave. But the one thing about Johnny Tapia was, and and you said it right. You don't mean to make it serious, but it, it becomes serious when you talk about Johnny Tapia. Right. Right. And his life from the beginning, bro, at a very young age, losing his mother and the way he lost his mother. Right. Yep. I don't even want to say how he lost his mother because everybody knows there's no need to say it. You know what I mean? But Johnny yeah. Tapia would just say it, you know, and like uh, that amazed me how you would it, it would just come out of his mouth. How he lost his mom was unfortunately, you know, murdered and worse. Right. And he had to deal with that. The, the heartbreaking thing that I recently found out uh, that I did not know of until I started kind of reading a little bit up on, on him was that his wife, Teresa, actually hired a private investigator to look into the murder of his of his mom. They found out who it was. And then they found out that this dude died in a car crash. Uh, allegedly, Johnny said he would have killed him. Maybe found out. Do you believe that? Do you think he would have killed that dude? I think he would have. Yeah, I, I absolutely believe that he would have. You know, I mean, you you had a guy that was always in the brink of death. Like he flirted with it. You know, he didn't care. He said in an interview, like I, like I don't care. You know, I don't care. The, the crazy part is that you have a guy, and how many people right now? Honestly, listening to the show, how many people do you know, uh, you know, black, white, it doesn't matter. You know, like the color boundaries of drugs and, and, and poverty, there's no boundaries. Unfortunately, there isn't. So how many uncles, brothers or dads and even moms um, can can literally not have no love for themselves, but love everybody around them? It, it's a common thing. Right. They literally believe they're a piece of shit. But everybody in their family is not. They're worth it. And they'll they'll convince you you're worth it. But in their heart, they believe already, I'm not worth it. I, I, I you know what I mean? I'm okay. If I die today, tomorrow, I'm okay. And it's 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 crazy, dude. It's freaking sad, you know, and and it's really it it his story hits so much home with me because of my relatives. Like I said, you know, my, my, you know, like even with my dad, to this day, my dad struggles with a lot of demons, you know, and I witness it. I sit there. My dad's an old ass man. And this fucker will go on a, on a, on a, you know, on a hiatus, you know what I mean? Where I literally have to hunt him down like the way I used to hunt him down at five, six, seven years old in pajamas. My mom used to send me in the bars to get him out. And at my age right now, I'm still doing the same thing for this cabron, you know. So it, it's a, it's a it's a real it's a real thing. And and like having the chance to speak to uh you know Johnny man was like it was great. Um, uh, it was you know I you know I, I don't know I I guess you could say it was like kind of therapy of talking to him. I was excited, but at the same time I was trying to keep my composure. I get I don't know if that makes sense. Like can I keep my composure with them? Because it was a very emotional interview for me. Not for the other guys, but for me. And then, like, when I had fans, like, you know, like, oh, man, you know, you're appraising this guy. And it was like, dude, I <laughs> – my uncle was the same way. My, you know what I mean? Like, my uncle was living at that time. Like, you know, it, it, it's very difficult to look at these guys you grew up with, uh, uh, you know, in a different light. You know what I mean? Right. 
And you know, another thing was, I remember, if you remember a couple of years back, uh, before he died, th there was these stories that were coming out that, that, he had, that his long-lost father appeared or something, right? And it turned out that the guy was a fake. He wasn't really his dad. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. like can you just imagine that? Like, it's just like, that's unbelievable to me that, that somebody would do that to this guy, right? Especially because listening to that interview, I mean, w when he would say, like, man, I, I see a father hug his son or a mother or whatever, hug it, like, it makes me want to cry, right? Yeah. This guy has 12-round boxing fights, getting punched in the face. He didn't cry about that, but, but he'll cry when you watch somebody, you know, hug somebody. Shout out to Blood Boxing in the chat, you know? Uh, Gee, fuck you, I mean, well, what, what do you make of that, man? As far as, you know, he would just, you know, want to cry. Just seeing somebody hug his son. You know, and then I want to hug G-Funk right now. He looks all stunned. <laughs> you know, but, and not only that, like the, the fact that somebody was like an imposter, acting like he was his dad. Yep. Yeah, that's terrible, man. Unfortunately, we got people who like to try to jump on certain situations. Um obviously for for money fame whatever it may be right um this guy you know he was a broken man uh for many years and then you know for someone to do that that's just that's just evil to me you know because like you said he would say you know i would see a son and a and a, and a father you know embrace and, and it would it would make him emotional like that's and then you to come around and, and play these games and like that's just that's terrible man that's a terrible thing you know um yeah, Tapia, man. Uh, you know, I it's man, it sucks. Like you, like like ninety seven. I was saying, man, you just relate so much to this guy and what he's done. Um, same with me. I can relate to a lot of the things. I've had a lot of relatives that were in the same situation as Tapia. You know, but the you know the good thing for him was that he did have something that carried him out of that for a little bit, and that was the sport of boxing. Um, he did great things in the ring. And, um, you know, he'll forever be remembered in my book as, as one of the best Mexican-American fighters of all time, man. Mi right. vida loca, Tapia. Look, and, and like me, like I had, like my dad had a lot of issues with drugs, you know, growing up. Um, grew up with a single mother for many years of my life, okay? <laughs> and the, the way I made amends with my dad is when he literally, because he would try to connect with me and, and, he would invite me to his house and I just, I was a teenager, bro. I had my friends. I had already gone past that. You know what I mean? Like the days to bond were like long gone. That happens to a lot of, you know, fathers that don't tend to the kids. Yeah. You know what I mean? But he, he was trying to, and I remember one time, um, he, uh, it, it was actually the Israel Vasquez, uh, Rafael Marcus fight. He invited me to go watch that fight. You know what I mean? And like, you know what? Okay. Because I wanted to see that fight. It, it was, it was, I believe, the second fight. And um, so I go to his house, and the way we made amends, honestly, and the way I found it to forgive him, when, when he looked at me in the eyes and he said, "Look, I was a piece of shit." Okay, mm -hmm. there, there, there ain't no like way around it. Uh, I was just a piece of shit. Okay, uh, I have no excuse. If you walk out and you never come back to see me again, I deserve it. But I want you in my life, right? And that's that's how he made amends. You know what I mean? Right. And, he, and he was never perfect after that. But again, when it comes to, you know, 
understanding somebody who had problems with drugs and alcohol and left the whole family behind because of that. Not seeing Johnny Topic did that in general, but right, right. Um, like I couldn't see a lot of my dad and Johnny Tapia. You know what I mean? Right. Like, and, and I think a lot of Latinos do. A lot of people in general do, because because what culture doesn't have family members, whether close relatives or something, where uh, someone's a druggie or something like that. You know, it's it's a real problem. You know? Yeah. It's a reality that most, like I said, if you're a minority. And that, when I mean minority, I don't mean, you know, I'm not subjecting out like the Caucasians because there's, there's like I said, there's ghettos in everywhere. Uh, yeah, shout out to Blood really quick, man. That's one of my boys right there. You know, um, uh, you know, Blood is a, one of the OGs, uh, one of the guys that actually uh, convinced me to go on YouTube, man. If it wasn't for Blood, I, there would be no uh, 97 Rough and, and Leave it in the Ring. So shout out to my boy out there, man. It's been a minute since I've spoken to him. Well, going back to my thought of uh, uh, what we're talking about, um, mi tío Mocho, um, it, it was a guy that was born and raised. I mean, um, oh, man, you know, you, you want to talk about Nuestra La Familia. I mean, this guy was there, you know, uh, Charlie Brown getting murdered, uh, getting killed uh, in, in San Jose, California, taken out of the garage and you know, uh, taken out because he decided to speak on against the, you know, Northern Mexican organization. My uncle was there, you know, my uncle was part of a bunch of stuff like that. You know, uh, the aggression of seeing these guys on, on drugs and, and being in, in that type of a lifestyle, I was there. I, I witnessed all that, but then I missed the beauty and the love that they had. Like if my uncle, if I needed him, he was there. You know, me and my dad didn't see eye to eye on a lot of stuff. You know, um, my dad went to prison. When my dad got out, you know, when I was late in my teens, my dad thought, oh, you know, it's going to go back to the way it was. Me whole, you know, I'm dad. No, no, you're not. <laughs> I already own my house already. I already did all this other shit. And I remember me and my dad were going to go into fisticuffs, man. We were about to throw blows. And my uncle stood behind me. I mean, Theo was right there, like, you know, and here was a guy, like I said, you know, got in that era, it was PCP. That was the thing to go for a lot of homeboys. That was the homeboy living, you know, and uh, other folks would have had a frown. I mean, you know, they would frown on all of that, but I understood it. That was the only that I grew up in that environment. That's the only thing I understood, you know, until until I got out of that little box. Like I said, you know. The way things are now, which is like a melting pot, which is beautiful. You know, I think it's great. Like my kids, it's sad because my kids have never grown up around Chicanos. You know what I mean? Mexican-Americans. They, they, don't, they don't know that really. They only know that because of dad. Barbecues, right. oldies, but goodies. Dad pounds beers, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, dad talks certain way. You know, I have a certain lingo and stuff. When I get, I get together with my old, my homeboys from the old neighborhood, they, my kids, my sons get that. And they're like, you know, like that's different. That's a different side of dad, you know? So yeah, that breaks my heart that they will never experience what I experienced living in downtown San Jose. But at the same time, it's a great experience because, you know, like my, my son's best friend is, 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 you know, is, is a black, he's African-American. My, my, my youngest son's best friend is Vietnamese. When I was growing up, you didn't have that. Everything was segregated because that's what the, that's, and I'm not going to get all like government, but that's what the government wanted. They wanted segregation. 
They wanted to keep everybody apart to make you believe you guys were different. We're not fucking different. We all bleed the same. We all pray to the same God and everything else, you know, but that's just the way things were done, you know, but, you know, going back, what I'm saying is just, you know, and that's what I saw and that's what I witnessed. So with, with Johnny interviewing Johnny being a chance to sit there and talk to him, I was comfortable talking to him because I understood where he was coming from. I understood what, how he felt, you know, um, not the experience witness his mom. I mean, the guy witnessed his teacher for crying out loud die. Yeah. So this guy was just surrounded by death, but at the same time, he still knew how to love his family. He just didn't know how to love himself enough to keep himself alive and stay around, man. That's, you know, and that's like, it goes back to my uncle who passed away. He was the same way. He loved his family. He, my, my, my uncle was in, in Folsom. My dad sent him a little picture like that, man. A little fucking picture like that. My uncle of my sister, okay? Of my sister, okay? Yeah. And my uncle used to call uh, my sister Butterfly. Cause that was his, uh, uh, like his favorite niece. Okay. I don't know why, but that was his favorite niece. I'm kidding. I know why, but my deal, they call, okay. Let me just back up. They call the mochu because he only had one hand. My uncle was, uh, uh, born with a defect hand. He only had a thumb and then it was like a thumb on a wrist. So we call the mochu. Yeah. Okay. In the streets, they call him the one handed bandit. So he was a left handy. So my dad sends him this picture. Okay. And my uncle's in Folsom. And my uncle sends back this fucking portrait, man, of my sister in great detail of that little portrait. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, he knew how to love others. He just did not know how to love himself like Johnny Tapia. Sad. Man. And let me tell you, Johnny Tapia loved his fans. Uh, You know, if you want an autograph, you would take an autograph. Bro, I was from – I'm from the southwest. I'm in El Paso, Texas, but Texas is a big state. That that is wet, basically New Mexico. Okay, we're just officially yeah. Texas, right? But right next to Las Cruces, New Mexico, it's it's a thirty minute drive, you know. And dude, I, I, I kid you not, bro. Like I go to you know I would go to offices, and there was usually a poster or some portrait of Johnny Tapia. Okay, mm. I, I mean, and this dude's loved in New Mexico. You know what I mean? And sometimes I wonder if if. If he ever understood how many people loved him, you know what I mean? I don't yeah. know. Cause uh, you know, I don't know, but uh, here's what I want to kind of say. All right. Johnny Tapia, Mexican American fighter. Okay. Uh, along with Paulie Ayala, Bobby Chacon, a lot of great uh, De La Hoya, even a lot of great Mexican American fighters. Right. Always like forgotten. Like whenever someone does like, hey, here's a list of the best American fighters of all time. Hmm. Well, the U.S. has a, a rich history, bro. You know what I mean? So it's hard to crack the top 20. You know what I mean? Right. Okay. Let's make a list of the top Mexican fighters. Long, rich history. You know, you know what I mean? So guys like Johnny Tapia, Yala, a lot of these guys, bro, they're almost lost in the shuffle. Whenever people talk about all yep. these great fighters, I never heard any of my uncles, by the way, talk about Johnny. I was a Johnny Tapia fan. Right. right. My, my uncles were always following the dudes in Mexico. Like, you know what I mean? Like Chavez and, and all that, even though they, they were all growing up here and stuff, but they, they were just, you know, Mexico, Mexico, Mexico. Johnny even, yeah. Well, there you go. I mean, he did, but he didn't like, he wasn't like so fluent with it, you know? 
Right, right. And that's the thing. Like anytime a Mexican fighter fights a Mexican American fighter, my uncle, like I would grow up, they would go for the Mexican fighter. You know what I mean? Right. It was just a thing. Like like I was in the house and they were going for Barrera, not for Johnny Tapia. Yep. You know? So like for whatever reason, you know, they weren't Mexican enough to be Mexican. They're not American enough to be American. What's going on? Uh, Chief Funk, did you experience some of that? You know, um, or what are your overall thoughts on these Mexican-American fighters being lost in a shuffle in boxing history? <laughs> I agree 100%, man. And I've seen that same exact thing with the older relatives. Uh, anytime we had uh, a Mexicano from Mexico against uh, a Chicano, from you know from here uh they would always go for the mexicano every time <laughs> while the younger ones would go for the for the chicano fighter uh so you know i i i really understand that um don't know why you know, i mean i mean i get why but you know i really don't <laughs> i mean we're all the same i mean to me it's just you know hey we're just born parts on different parts of the border you know so but um Unfortunately, we still have that divide, but um, yeah, these guys do get lost because you know there are. I mean, I mean, it's tough to add them in there with all the other um, American fighters. That's why we got to kind of. I know. I mean, I know this might sound bad to some people. But, you know, if we just separate them because you know we, we you know it's, it's we we got to treat it that way for these guys to get the recognition. You know, we got to kind of you know separate them from the rest because we have that and, and plus you know it was so close so you know you understand why some people are like that um but you know speaking of of, of great chicanos i mean i don't want to go off topic too much here but uh uh i want to give a a, a, a rest in peace to uh uh jorge Chico. santana the, the, the guitarist oh. for uh for malo who just passed away last yeah. week one of the best uh, Chicano guitarists ever, man. Very yep. underrated. Um, he played with uh, Malo. They had the hit Suavecito. That I mean, I don't think I've ever been to a cookout where they did not play that song. <laughs> so yeah. uh, he was a he was a big big influence in the Chicano movement in the early seventies. So I just want to give a shout out to him and and Tapia as well, man. He's I mean I know he's got the bad history and everything, but. You know, he's a guy that came through a lot, man, and and accomplished a lot too. So yeah. I think he deserves to be up there, man, with with guys like that. And just that's just my opinion on him, man. Uh, Dave, uh, you know, just to close this out before we end the show, what are your thoughts about Mexican American fighters kind of being lost in a the shuffle there? Whenever people talk about all time greats, I'll tell you what. I mean, look, when Jose Luis Castillo fought Diego uh, Corrales, a lot of folks don't mention he's Chicano. Yeah. You know, I remember watching that fight. I remember the fight happening, and I, I immediately told my brother because my brother was uh, rooting for Jose. I'm like, dude, you know, Diego's from Sac. He's from Sacktown. What? And I go, he's Mexicano. He's not Mexican, and and, and it's sad that a lot of us believe just because you're darker skin, you know, or or you have, you know, you look negro, that we don't associate with that. We do. Uh, I know a lot of Latinos don't want to believe this, but we have a lot of African blood in our in us, man. You know, you know, and Diego Corrales is Chicano. He's he's Mexican and Colombian and, and, and whatever else and stuff. He's Chicano. He's a Chicano, uh, Mexican-American uh, fighter. 
Yeah, he grew up about maybe half a mile from where I grew up, man. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> hey, definitely, man. He was he was he was Chicano and uh that, that that was a that was a big win right there against Castillo. Unbelievable tenth round, even though he spit out the mouthpiece a little too much, but that's okay. Uh <laughs> you, you didn't go to boxing Rex? I, I think I don't know if they changed it, but I remember going to boxing they have him listed as an American fighter. You don't have them like Mexican fighter, you know, a Mexican American. You go to other guys, you'll see like the old Mexican American. Diego Corrales is a Mexican American. Yeah. Plain and simple. And he identified with it. You know, he came out with the Mexican flag when he was in a fight, when he fought uh, Floyd Mayweather. He just couldn't get the reception. Like he just couldn't rally up people uh, that, that were his from his descent to, to back him up, man. Well, it wasn't just that, bro. It was just it, 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 it. There is something to the effect that, and remember when Juan Diaz fought uh, Marquez, and Marquez made a statement in the pre-fight to to that fight, and he said, uh, he said Diaz is half Mexican. I'm a hundred percent Mexican. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like there's just something to that, bro. And a lot of my uncles, God bless them, but they would be like, ah, it's just un, un pocho, and it's just. Right. That, 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 oh, man, I hate it. that. And, and I'm like, dude, you're talking about your kids right there. You're talking about your nephews. That's what you're talking about. You, you know what I mean? Yep. Like, like that. And didn't even like it, it never registered with them. No, you know what no, I mean? it doesn't. It Shout doesn't. out to boxing. I appreciate that, bro. It doesn't um, even register. Look, look at like uh, uh, um, Cuban fighters. You know, um, I remember the, the guy that that did the um, God. What's his name, bro? I'm sorry. I apologize, but I had him on. I, I follow him on Twitter. He follows me back on Twitter, and he, uh, he, well, he's a he's a white guy that that lived in in Cuba. Uh, he followed uh, Rigandal, Eras Landi's career. Did a documentary, and it was up on Netflix. Okay, um, God, it's a great Netflix documentary too. Um, it was a while back it came on, and he was you know what he mentioned is something that's really um, it's it's just so interesting when he said that. The reason why the Cubans don't get the support of like light skinner Cubans in, 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 in here in the States is because the darker Cubans identify with slavery Cubans, you know? Uh, um, so the lighter Cubans don't want to associate with that. It's same thing with the, like the, you know, the Asian culture, you know what I mean? The lighter you are, the more they believe that you're like in, out of royalty, the darker you are, they know you worked out in the fields. You know what? And Rasa, bro? It's the same way. It's the same way. Like, look at Canelo. You know, uh, right away, he's a plot. Oh, you know, he looks huerito. He looks like a white guy, blah, blah, blah. You know, let's cop. But the darker you are, they're like, ah, you got to work for it, bro. Yeah, a lot of his fans don't want to have that conversation, man. They just don't. I mean, bro, this will tell you everything. I remember um, I was doing a show, if you remember, Chief Funk, a while back. And we're talking about Neri and a potential fight with uh, – this is before I got mad at him for missing weight and stuff. You know what I mean? But we're talking about Neri against Inouye, and some smartass comes on the chat and be like, I mean, look at Neri. He's not Mexican. Yeah, you know I remember I mean? that. I'm like, are you fucking shitting me, bro? All right? <laughs> okay. Like, I mean, come on. You know what I mean? But it, yeah. at the end of the day, man, uh, there is a lot of, um, you know, internal problems and issues, of course. Right. Uh, you know, and it's it's nationalistic. It's uh, a little bit to do as well. So, man, at the end of the day, you know, I think these Mexican American fighters like Johnny Tapia, like Paulie Ayala from Texas. You know what I mean? Yes. They deserve a lot more 
respect, man. Uh, uh, Bobby Chacon should be revered and remembered more than what he is. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know, yes. so. Dude, I mean, the guy, check this out. I mean, I had a chance uh, before he passed, and I never posted the interview. And I've talked about this. And the reason I never did is because his speech was so bad. And I don't, I just don't have no faith on people on the internet um, uh, that make fun of him because it's just like, there's no way. I, I wouldn't allow that. But here you have a guy that his wife committed suicide, told him, don't go back in the ring. Um, and it was against a, a Limon a Bazooka, I believe. I can't remember if it was that fight. And then he, he's like, I'm going, I'm going. And then, and then she kills herself. And the way he mourned was by getting in the ring and beating Bazooka. Demona. Yeah, you know, by beating him, you know, and, and I, I'm sitting across from him and I ask him about that. And here's this, he was getting up, dude, and kissing everybody, like, woo, 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 you know. And he comes back and and I was like, I was like, fuck, here I am. I'm gonna be a dick right now, you know. I'm gonna ask him this question. And I asked him about that. Like, how did you like get yourself up from that? And he said, he told me, man, he was like, Well, if I wouldn't have done it, like if it would have um it would have made her death true of 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 like you know like not going out there so that win for him was to justify to her because he believed that she went to heaven hey see i did it and i did it for us right so yeah he should definitely be considered one of the greatest Mexican american chicano fighters of all time yeah one of those fights he had with bazooka limon was here in the Memorial Auditorium back in the early '80s, man, that was a whew, that was a hell of a war, man. That's one you guys should check out. What was still under the quarantine, you know? Yep. Most definitely. All right, all right, guys. We've had a great show, man. Hispanics causing panic. Make sure you subscribe to Leave It in the Ring. By the way, um, Chief Funky, give me, give me some final thoughts really quick. Man, great show. Um, we had a lot of good things to talk about here, considering there's no boxing, you know, uh, <laughs> especially Johnny Tapia. You know, that's a hell of a story and very related, very relatable for a lot of us Chicanos, you know, unfortunately. But uh, R.I.P. to him Jorge Santana as well. One of my favorite guitarists ever. Um, shout out to the chat. Everybody that, that was here that, uh, uh, you know, listened to us and chimed in through the chat. Make sure you guys hit the like button if you haven't already. Make sure you subscribe to Leave It in the Ring, D-Style, and, of course, myself, you know. And be there tomorrow when we talk a little bit about Owen Hart. D-Style and I will be on my channel. It's gfunky 84 Boxing, And uh, I'm glad to be here, man. Uh, thanks for having me on, D-Style. It's always, it's always a pleasure, man. Absolutely, guys. Uh, make sure you throw a jab at the like button. It's good to see 97 Rough Around, says Retro boxing and documentaries fun <laughs> shows at Chicago profit. Uh, give us some final thoughts, Dave. It's good to see that, you know, all us YouTubers are still uh, going at it and uh, talking boxing. Shout out to blood boxing. Don't forget to uh, retro boxing and documentaries. Uh, go and subscribe to him. Don't forget to go to G funk, man. Subscribe to G funk. He's got some good content. Uh, love watching his show and stuff. Um, I still got to figure out how the fuck does G Funk do the grass, bro? I thought he was going to reveal the secret here on the show, but he's going to hold that back to the next uh, Hispanic causing panic. Uh, <laughs> shout out to Boxing Conversation uh, with Reggie Owens. Um, 
All the guys that come through uh, D-Style. Hey, D, I got to tell you this really quick, man. Yep. I, I want to thank you, bro, uh, for really helping out my channel again uh, to get back up and going and stuff, man. I think that, honestly, the contribute that you've done and helped out and, uh, uh, you know, helped push it um, has kind of got it back over there, man. So, you know, a big shout out to you, bro, and for you to even tell me to come back over, you know, come on your show and all that. Um, it's much, much appreciated, bro. Thank you guys very much. Absolutely, man, and uh, you're more welcome. I'm glad to see some old school YouTubers on here. We still got to do that video with uh, yourself, Blood, and my and me. Okay, yeah, and maybe some some other old school YouTubers or something. You know, some like back flash to the past type of thing. You know what I mean? So we got. Where's do the something. body banger? Can we find the body banger? Is he around? Blood said he's gone and he's never coming back. Blood put a hit on him. <laughs> yeah, man. But we, we got to do that show, bro. Um, I'm down to do it. If you want to host it, I'll host it. It doesn't matter to me as long as we yeah, do it. Bro. Um, we go, I'm down. Absolutely, man. Uh, with that said, guys, this is D-Style Boxing. And what do we say, Chief Funk? Keep it boxing. Keep it boxing. We're out. Peace.